I decided I would go to a weekend conference, but only one day, and I went down to Fosdom. Have Have you all ever been to Fosdom? I have not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's a it's it's a tough choice going to that conference. So it's basically in Brussels, right? So you know, for me, not a big deal. Go down to Brussels, uh, and uh, but it's like free. There's no registration, and they kind of take over this this old university. I mean, it's Europe, so they're all old, uh, but like a big old university, and there's just like like hundreds of like open source related presentations going on. It's crazy, and. You know, it's one of those rooms that being a university, the uh, the rooms have it where those chairs are connected. So you got two things going on. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where they're, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're all together. One, uh, you can't really like get up and pee if you're in the middle, right? It's like the worst airline situation ever. Well, it's like a movie theater, right? You, you, you Yeah, know, yeah. But you, the good seats are in the middle, but everyone sits on the edges so they can go, you know. They can go get some popcorn halfway through. And I, but I think the thing is, like at a movie theater, there's some space that you can walk in through, right? But here, there's right. no space. Like you're just trapped. Now, Oof. that also means, well, that doesn't mean this, but like, you know, there's so many people that then they do the thing where, like, where, like, you know, you're sitting on the edge because that is the preferred seat in such a situation because you're, you know, you're hearing about how to help, you know, run a, uh, an open source community and you want to go get some popcorn basically, as you're saying. But then that means that people in the room who are trying to be good, good, uh, you know, people administering the track, they are always coming along asking you to scoot in, right, to lose your advantage. And so, so I had this dilemma in my head, I want to ask you too, do you think what I should do, do you think it's okay to stand up and let the new person go inside so I can maintain my outer seating? Or do I do I just have to give up and have to go in? What is the what's the polite thing to do what what it will society accept <laughs> i think it's just your will like how willing are you to kind of uh stand away from the herd like i think peer pressure would say just slide in but i do i don't think it's wrong to say hey i i, I just need to say something like i really prefer to send on sit on the end i'll, I'll mm. you know let people people move I've in got, as needed you just tell them i've got a tiny bladder and they'll keep walking I think I, I think I think maybe nowadays you can do the thing where like where like you could uh, you know you're sensitive about it. You're like I I'm a, I'm too claustrophobic, so I need to sit on the edge. And so you could which which I don't know I don't want to sit in the middle like that's uncomfortable. I'm not that's not the life I want to live. Maybe I should try that. But that's just oh that's so forward. That's so unlike me to do that. It's, but the uh, uh, you know I re- I had been to that conference five years ago and uh, uh, I was deciding what footwear to wear and I decided I would wear my my hiking boots because I remember last time it was muddy and wet and this time it was muddy and wet. It's just a very it's a very like it's it's the one conference that I've been to literally a couple of times and I don't know it's just very muddy. It's a very like the the, uni- <laughs> the university that they're in is like. In, is a mud hole. <laughs> well, I, you know, in contrast, I went to configuration management camp on Monday and Wednesday, right? And it was is that like the same place. I mean, it's it's uh, it's in Ghent. It's so it's it's oh, like okay. it's like I, for some reason I thought they were together. No, no, I mean they're, they're kind of around each other, but it was like it's like fifty minutes drive away from Brussels, which is fine. But the university there is like new and tidy, and uh, it's it's a it's a fun contrast between the two. But boy. There was a lot of people at that Fosdom just running around doing the open yeah. source stuff. It was, it was it's massive. Yeah. Yeah. 
What was the theme? Like, what was the the main? Uh, I don't know. What was the hallway track? What was happening? I I don't think there was one. It's just fragmented. It's like there. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah, actually. Fustum's like. Yeah, it's just the biggest open source conference, and the theme is open source, which means everything under the sun, right? Yeah, yeah. I I didn't go to. I'm maybe at the keynotes there was something. I think there was. I think there were a few a few talk a theme that I noticed in some talks, which is basically like maybe like the aging of the open source community like who what are the kids going to be doing and where are they and like how do we get them involved and there's also a lot of like a fair amount of like ethics and moral type of stuff which i think is a recent phenomena in uh, open source land did did they decide that the kids are all right (laughs) i think so i you know okay and I and, open source and of the future is in good hands. I got a I got a waffle from a, a vending machine that was actually Ooh. pretty good. So uh, so so it worked out well. And I think I think the the configuration management camp was nice. It's fun to see all those people. It's all the yeah. you know all the DevOps people. They all they all go there. I saw it been a long time. I saw our friend Donnie from uh, you know from the old Red Monk days, and now at yeah uh, four five one. And how do you now, say it, Carson uh, Carson Wagon Carson Wiggett? I, I sure. forget. Yeah. But I finally figured out what that company does. They're basically like Amex travel people, competitors. So that's fun. And uh, I talked with John Willis for a long time. That's my trip report, fellas. It, it was it was good stuff. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Yeah. Oh, and, oh, and I saw I saw everyone's favorite. No SSH JJ. I saw a oh, lot of him. There we go. Yes. He was uh, he's he's a he's a good guy, Matt Ray. How'd you find him to hire him? Did he come to you, or or did you did you find him? Uh, a little bit of both. Like I saw him around uh, the meetups, and uh, uh, he was, I think he was looking, and and you know I said, hey, I have the job for you, and uh, and yeah, here here we are now. He's like a internet cloud mover and shaker. Yeah, that's right. Big luxurious beard. Just going around places, giving talks, talking about Kubernetes. He, I haven't ever seen it, but he told me he has a uh, a, a Kubernetes in five minute talk that he he said was pretty good. So I got to go check that out and demystify it. But yeah, he's such a positive person. I caught myself several yep. times like saying things in kind of like a negative, crabby way, <laughs> and then and then and then like five minutes later, I realized that he had turned it around and basically told me I need to be more positive. And at the same time, which is, which is, that's, that's nice. He's got a, he's got an agenda of happiness. That's good. Yeah. He's trying to thought leader you into happiness. Yes. Yes. Thought leader me into <laughs> happiness. Yeah, well, good luck with that, JJ. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that's rough. You know, every now and then in, in my little uh, captain's log, I try to write down some, like, I feel like, I feel like every now and then I've figured some things out about how to live my life. And and my theory is I just forget them the next day. And so I try to write them down. And I think the one thing that I'm always writing down that I never go read the next day is like I should I should try to be positive about things. Yeah. Like, you know, try to figure out like what is what is the good thing involved in this rather than the negative. And you know, I don't know I don't know if you all ever have this feeling, but sometimes, you know, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll think like, oh, I just like was writing too much stuff in Twitter or talking to to someone too much here. I just need to like not talk with people, not just publish things and not get involved. But but I think maybe that's, that's because I don't want to like, you know, get involved in the, uh, 
the follow-up. I, w- I was telling someone, I think it was, uh, I was telling John Willis, I was like, I'm always remembering, I'm always reminded that the problem when you make suggestions is people talk back to you. And I don't really want that. To which he replied, he was like, you're great. Like, I'm a pretty, I can be a cynical person, but you are so much more cynical than me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Just just hop on a plane and leave for the next conference. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, Well, you know, speaking of cynicism, there's, there's, there's new, I think there's one CEO and one president at IBM. I don't, I don't, I don't really know what a president is. So I'm just going to think of them as co-CEOs, which I I think, I think probably makes more sense. Like uh, SAP doesn't have co-CEOs anymore. Right. But uh, I don't know. There's a lot of analysis of it and uh, you know, we'll see how they do. It's, 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 yeah. It seems like it seems like the following up on trying to be positive. It seems like the 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 level fair thing to say, despite me not having numbers, is like, well, the cloud didn't work out for them. Public cloud didn't work out, and then despite having uh, purchased several things and kind of having a go for it, and then you know I don't know a way to quantify it, but like I feel like that whole like like Watson bet was just. Uh, I don't know if, if it worked or not or whatever, but it seemed underwhelming and perhaps a poor choice to be sort of <laughs> such a, a high priority. Of well, I mean, I mean, of course, yeah. like, like to, to, to have another nonsense phrase, right. If it was successful, we would be excited that it was so successful. Yeah. But, but so still. the, uh, the, <clears throat> the platform nomics. So we're, we're kind of talking about, uh, uh, Gina Romnetti stepping down at, at IBM. The, That's right. <clears throat> the, the, the Platformnomics article that uh, we've got in the show notes called IBM's Lost Decade has a lot of numbers. Yeah. And, you know, you can see the the general uh, decline in, you know, market capitalization, cash flow, just, you know, stock performance, thing after thing. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's not pretty. Um, you know, I'm sure if we were to bring up some of the, uh, the other companies, you know, some of the other cohorts, um, there might be some other ones. But IBM's definitely the largest of, you know, the, the declining tech companies. Um, and, you know, and if you flip some of these, you're going to end up with like, you know, Apple and Amazon and, and Google and, you know, the like. Uh, so yeah, uh, new CEO coming in and apparently uh, the Red Hat CEO is, is, is the uh, heir apparent. Yeah. So that but seems to be it, the news. I think, you know, I, I actually look back at it and say, it seems like the, the playbook's, you know, pretty straightforward that the new CEO, um arvid is uh he'll basically run the kind of i think of it as he'll kind of oversee all the legacy business as well as kind of like you know keeping the resources focused in on the cloud and then you're going to have the james uh what whitehurst former ceo of red hat now president of ibm they, i mean i would guess his task right is to take open shift and you know basically go make it work right and i and it seems like in five years, if it works out well, it seemed like it would make a lot of sense for that to be the bulk of the company, and then he would take over as CEO, right? So mm-hmm. it seems like it would be pretty straightforward. And then, you know, I do think looking back on, because it's kind of interesting to look at, you know, where we are, and you can kind of count them up however you want, like the mega cloud vendors that really, you know, if you will, have established themselves, you know, AWS, Google, and Microsoft, I mean, at least two of the three, I think we can say, 
if we started this decade saying, wow, this cloud thing's going to be huge, I think we would have had companies like IBM, Cisco, Oracle, HP, you know, Dell, others, right? We'd say, well, they'll become one of them, some subset of them will become the dominant public cloud ve uh, vendors. But now looking back on it, it seems like the real advantage you needed to have to, to figure it out was to basically be building a massive online business um, that utilized, right, all these, you know, what we now think of the cloud, and then to build that technology into a cloud. Because it's, you know, everyone else, I mean, IBM's still in it, but, you know, all those other vendors essentially had one and exited the business. So I think, I don't know, it would be interesting if we started the decade, we said, like, what's what's the bigger advantage, being like a, a technology company with like a lot of enterprise relationships or being a company that built a major online presence, like what's going to allow you to dominate the cloud infrastructure business? And it's like, well... You know, I think you can, I guess you can make the argument Microsoft is in this weird category, right? Because they were both a technology company, but they did have some large cloud services. So they were the one that sort of spanned both things. But AWS being huge in retail, Google being huge in search, right? I guess well, it's that, that advantage it seemed to, to carry them forward. But, but those companies had product to kind of anchor the, the services angle and to bring people in. IBM, I mean, they don't appear to really have a strong product offering that is bringing people in. You know, people are, will come to AWS. They'll come to Azure. There's a big ecosystem around them. People don't say like, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna hop on that IBM cloud, and then then all those IBM Global Services. That's when we're gonna want to use them. Instead, you've got IBM Global Services. That's, you know, they're going around doing IT anywhere for anything. You know, it doesn't matter if it's you know they'll they push the IBM stuff, but you know they'll they'll you know, they'll work with you on Azure or, you know, in your private cloud or whatever you have. But at the same time, they're also going through, you know, cost-cutting measures on their own. The, the you know, the staffing, you know, they come in with like really great, sharp people up front. And then over time, you know, I've seen this several places, you know, the, the, the you know, the architects are usually, you know, top, top-notch. And then, what happens is they bring in the team and they slowly replace them with more and more junior people and the customers kind of left holding, you know, Hey, what, do, what happened to all those you yeah. know, sharp people who were here, you know, two years ago, you know, why are we training up your, your workforce? Yeah, no, I agree on all fronts. I think it's just, I guess it's, it's just interesting to see like how the public cloud really shook out, right? It was really AWS building an enterprise sales force on top of their technology that is good and been good, right? And Google kind of doing the same. I think Microsoft doing the same versus like these, these large technology, you know, the, if you will, the mega vendors of old, you know, they had all these sales relationships. They've all tried to build clouds and for the most part, they just couldn't get there, right? They've either exited business or they're, you know, way behind. So, so, and so it's kind of interesting. So, you know, to me, it just sets up as, you know, I guess, you know, one way to say it is, you know, Jenny Reddy, like she buys Red Hat, which is really at this point, like an open shift play. And you just sort of, you know, I think she's sort of like mission accomplished, right? Put in, and it's, it's going to like, I think IBM's cloud fortunes kind of rise or fall with that acquisition and really open shift, right? Like, does that become uh, a dominant way to deploy um, cloud applications going forward and doesn't make a lot of money because if it does then I think she could say I set IBM up for the future if it doesn't you know IBM will have to find some other area yeah. at some point and, and most of the commentary seems to be saying that you know she stayed the course with their you know discounted outsourcing model and you know shedding the you know some of the legacy products and then at the end bought Red Hat <laughs> you know, that's kind well, of the, that's the biggest, if you were to, I, I look at it, like if you were to make, I think two comments, I always think about it's like one, I think 
going back, it's like none of these other vendors, like kind of in the similar position, like were able to like, as I mentioned, let's we'll pick HP, Cisco, others. Like nobody else was really able, or Oracle was really able to like build their own cloud and become a big business. So I think you could say like it was really difficult for any of those vendors, even if it was a logical place they should go. So I think that part you would say tough hand, right? This was a tough thing. But at the same time, I think you can also say there weren't really it doesn't feel like there were any risky big bets inside of this, right? To really try. Right? It seems like to your point, it was a lot of like, well, let's man the ship, let's do some professional services. There wasn't, uh, and then only at the very end, right? I guess it's like the biggest bet of all. Right? It's like, wow, I'm gonna put thirty-four billion dollars on the table. I'm gonna, you know, pick up Red Hat and I'm gonna put a lot of money on OpenShift. And you're like, and I don't know. I mean, it feels extremely aggressive, but at the same time, you're like, well, you know. You know, we'll see what happens, right? I mean, anything can happen, but um, it is it is one of those things. Like you probably would have said, like, "Hey, could you have taken that thirty four billion dollars ten years ago, or some ver- you know some fraction <laughs> yeah. of it, and try to think through like where do we want to be?" Like I always thought, like you know, maybe a pivot would have been trying to get ServiceNow and Salesforce become before they become these mammoth companies and say, "Hey, listen, I don't want to play head to head in this infrastructure game." I want to play in this application space, right? Whereas, yeah, well, there, there's, there's a I, ton of hindsight bias, right? Yeah, I mean, of course. Anyone 100%. looking at the last, you know, 10 years of IBM would be like, well, we don't want that. <laughs> yeah, oh, I agree, like 100%, like, yeah, of course, it's easy to say that now. But I think you would just go back, like, well, what were the bets that were made? I mean, there was the soft layer acquisition, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, well, I mean, that seemed to be, but that, again, seemed, if even when it happened, I feel like it, I feel like it kind of happened late, right? Like, there's already a pretty established thing. And then you had... Blue Mix, which was an attempt to kind of build, right, um, Cloud Foundry, kind of you know public-facing portal. But again, like that that market was so established when that got going. So it's just like you know, just like what was the bet you're trying to like? Where was the? And I guess you could say Watson was it. Like Watson was this kind of like I'm going to pivot this thing, but you know you got to have some product, right? At the end of the day, somebody you know if you're going to say you're going to cure cancer, at some point people are going to ask about it. So that's just the part <laughs> that's really hard on the Watson side. It's and and again like maybe. To be fair, you know, you could say like, well, we we invest in these things, and they just, they just didn't pay off, right? But it was just, um, yeah. it's always hard. You I, can't I, go see product, you're in trouble. I, I think I think that's like that's that's the analysis I always go back to what you're just saying, and and just uh, I think, well, I I, I think I with them, I always think of, with them being IBM, I think a couple of things. One, uh, you know, that the other thing that uh, platformomics. Charles Fitzgerald like covers all the time is the annual capex spend and he has yeah. I forget when it's from but you know there's there's one uh we'll put it in the show notes which are at softwaredefinedtalk.com/217 but there's there's a good chart from maybe 2017 or so where he has IBM's capex uh charted from 2001 to 2017 with uh Google, Amazon and uh Microsoft and Oracle and uh you know you just use CapEx as all, all sorts of things, but it is a good indicator of somewhere in there is all the money you spend on your, your cloud data centers. And you, you can see in this chart that around 2000, like IBM basically spends like 7 billion, six or 7 billion a year in CapEx, right? And then all of a sudden in like 2012, the public cloud companies go up to like, like Amazon goes up to 20 billion a year eventually or whatever. So like, that's, you know, and I, that's back when I was doing cloud stuff in the 2011, 2012 days. And like, I remember at the time that, uh, you know, I was doing work with, with our old friend Probacher and we would, we would go blow off steam. And basically our conclusion about the entire, like anyone who wanted to complete in cloud was like, you're going to need a shit ton of money 
right? Like you're going to need two things. One, you got to get a lot of money uh, to build out the data centers and do things. And when we look at the competitive landscape, uh, like no one except the three who wanted to win wanted to spend money. <laughs> right. like, like all of the companies except those three were always trying to come up with schemes of how they could not spend money, right? And yeah. And somehow, I, I never, I'm sure someone has figured this out, but I'm never really sure how Rackspace fucked that all up. Um, but, you know, they, they, <laughs> they seem to be in a good position to, at that time, right? Like to have been something. But I don't, I, I, I think, you know, Rackspace was, <clears throat> they were public at the time. And yeah. uh, they were not moving the amount of, they didn't have the revenue to, to compete. I yeah, mean, yeah, maybe, we, we were talking about this in 2016. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, we, yeah. we we were like, hey, you know, we could tell that, you know, this this you know need of of capex, you know, just exponential growth was happening. And we, you know, I remember conversations like, well, do, you know, do you think HPE or Cisco or somebody with these deep pockets are going to get in? Because you know, even then, you know, four years ago, we were commenting that you know, you have if you get in, you have to get in to win, and yeah. you know it. It's not like it's going to get cheaper. Yeah, yeah, and and so so I I think I think that's the first like like thing that was going on in like 2010 or 2011 is just like if and and I think there's I would speculate there's like two reasons why people would think like that. One, like to your point, Matt, like I think maybe comp uh, not very many companies had permission to spend that much money on a speculative thing, <laughs> and or what what at the time seemed speculative versus other options or whatever. And I think another one is, and to this day, it's sort of like this. I think back then it was a lot more like this, but like essentially you would say that enterprises will still do private clouds. So we should focus on that, right? Like it's, it, it is an example of like the, uh, you know, the drunk looking for their keys underneath the lamppost is sort of like yes. people, it's sort of like what people, all the companies were used to. And so the first thing that they would scramble to was, uh, what did we used to call it? It wasn't hybrid and bursting, cloud bursting. There was going to yes. be a lot of bursting and things like that. And so like those two things would combine together to basically just, I think the people who would make the decisions, they just like, they couldn't figure it out. Like whether they didn't have permission to, they didn't believe in it or whatever. And then the other thing that we, and you still... I don't know. This is a harder one to kind of like stand on solid ground. But back then, you definitely would notice this. And to some extent, you still notice it is is like there were just very few people with new ideas. <laughs> like like there, there was there was this lack of an understanding that like you have to hire people who know what they're doing in cloud to like make good products. Right. Like you can't just throw a bunch of stuff around and expect people to use it and I don't know, like, like that's kind of a, I don't know, it's hard for people to come up with product. Like they, they wouldn't come up with all these new services. Like it's hard for me to imagine that well, there, there are that many people who would think of like all of the hundreds of thing of services that, that are in the, uh, those clouds now. And I think, I think on my, on the Microsoft side, like you, I would expect it from them because that's like their thing. Sure. They, sure. I guess to summarize all of this, uh, all, all of this point, like, People didn't understand like all the stuff developers would need and all the things that operations people would need. So then anyways, I think the point Brandon hit on, like, I think that's the other misstep that IBM made was 
to to put it another way, so I remember like back towards the end when I was an analyst at Redmug. That was like the first year where I know I've recounted this before, but we went to the uh, the annual software. We would call it the um, the uh, man. His name wasn't Steve Miller. What what's Anyways, you know, we would go to the annual. Uh, who who was who was the big software honcho, Brandon? What was his name? Oh, at IBM, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh this sorry. is embarrassing. Just, I've just forgotten. I used I used to know his name perfect. Anyways, he he had a he was in charge of software, and then for some a year or two, he was in charge of software and hardware, and he had an annual software event uh, for all the analysts up there in Stamford, Connecticut, the lovely Sheraton. One of those one of those Sheratons that's very emblematic of if you want to be an analyst, this hotel is your life. Enjoy. <laughs> uh, but in the in the middle of fucking nowhere in Connecticut. Uh, and so uh, I remember we went there one year and all of a sudden there was nothing about all the software brands. And it was all about it was that it was the smart era. Everything was smart cities and smart this. And I remember, yeah. including myself, most of the analysts were like uh, where's WebSphere? Like, I want to talk about Tivoli things. Like, we just wanted to, being analysts, we wanted to talk about the software. And of course, the the mental kung fu that was applied to us was like, oh, you analysts and your old way of thinking, you can't adapt to like, you know, the new way of doing stuff. And then after that, of course, came the era of like Watson and, and other things. And uh, that's right, Steve Mills, that was his name. Good, good guy. Yeah. Uh, and and like I feel like I don't know when exactly it happened. I mean, I think it started happening there, but at some point IBM sort of forgot that it was a software company. And yes, I know as well as services. No problem. <laughs> but it's sort of like a major part is like software and product. And you kind of erase all these names and that you sell off Lotus and like they had these very distinct like there were five brands. Is that right? There were like four or five brands of software. And then it all kind of got collapsed into like smart stuff. And then the smart stuff kind of went away. And then it was all just about like Watson or whatever. And in fact, the guy who's CEO now, he was in charge of cloud and cognition, I think. And yeah, yeah and like, and like, I think, I think at that point, and this is all kind of hand wavy, like business book level stuff that has to, uh, eventually deconstruct into something meaningful but like i don't know what does ibm do <laughs> right <laughs> like but i think go back to like what you're saying before i do think this is like again i think hard position all like we said before so let's not be unsympathetic but what you said before what the information that was known i think you know you and Pabarkar and you know many others like you you could see the capex spend right and i think everybody in ibm could know that too it's like Hey, we either have to go spend at this level, or if we're a company yeah. not, we're not um, willing to do that. And I think you know HP, Cisco, and go on and on. I think they all made the same decision. A lot of them just said we got to exit, right? And I think that's, I mean, that's maybe the point you could point back to and say, you know, doing both was never going to work out for you, right? And I think so. That would be my biggest thing. Is like they that was well known back then. And you know, to yeah. your point about building the software, it's like you know that really. I mean, to say it a different way is. The people that were in a position to like quote unquote get cloud were AWS and Google because they were essentially you know doing this, building it out, hiring developers, trying to figure it all out. So like they had that DNA built into their companies of like oh this is what it really means. This is what you're gonna really have to do to run at scale. Whereas 
HP, IBM, Oracle, you know, had to go, if you will, do traditional product development, like go talk to the customers, like what do you need? You know, and, and that customer base doesn't really know at that point. So I think that that would be, I guess, the thing I would point back to is like, hey, you had all those facts then, but you still pretty much try to compete head on. And, you know, all these other companies, you know, HP, Cisco, they took different tacks and you could argue, like, did they do well? Did they not do well? But, they, you know, they did something different. Right. And I think they're all in different spots, whereas IBM is like, well, you know, and then and then finally just is like you make the big bet at the end. But. It's a gigantic bet, and it's like I don't know what the odds of success. Yeah, are. I, and, and but, I think, I think none, nobody I, really made the bet, right? Yeah. Nobody made the big bet except maybe for Oracle. And you know, we—I mean, we're talking about like you know, product. It's like you don't. There's so much table stakes just to get into the cloud game. I mean, you know, just things like you know, it, cloud instances and block storage, and you know, I. Uh, <laughs> and and API gateways. I mean, there's there's literally like you know 40 services that you have to to stand up just to be you know called a cloud. And mm. uh, you know you don't need a lot of product management. You just look at what's already out there, and you're like, well, we got to spend you know two billion dollars on developing that or buying that or whatever to get in the game. And I think, I mean, honestly, I think Oracle's the only one who really gave it a decent swing. And you know they're they're still in the game. Um, but I, I, I kind of don't think probably people overthought it. They're like, we have to out innovate these people and really just have to, you know, get mm. the table stakes in place, you know, cause if IBM yeah. had had, if IBM had had a, a, a digital ocean level competitor and software was probably that when they bought it, right. Software was probably fine when they bought it, but it never really you know, they, they kind of took away the ability to pay by credit card, I, I guess. And, and then it became like an enterprise thing and it slowed down and, you know, it just kind of stagnated. If they, they had something that was, you know, a little less featureful than AWS and, and Azure, and, and to be honest, everybody is, you know, that would still have been a lot better than what happened. Mm, yeah. You, you know, I, I think, so one, uh, have, have be, being, being students of the halo effect, which I don't think we've mentioned in like 12 months. <laughs> like two episodes <laughs> but but uh but like i think you know uh one it's good to like as as brandon was saying swing at the fences and you know you're gonna not hit the ball all the way is that the right one you hit the ball or, you, or you're gonna strike out yeah yeah there you go and and so like you know it's easy to be like oh watson was a bad choice but it's like yeah there's lots of bad choices <laughs> right like you have to make a choice and sometimes it's gonna be bad and you know amazon made a phone that was lame uh and so like but at least they tried every you know you have to try things so like good good trying uh too too bad it maybe sort of didn't work out. I don't know. It's, 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 it's easy to like bag on Watson stuff, but also it's, I'm more saying this to myself, there should be some responsibility of like, yes, sometimes there's huge failures and things don't work out well. Right. Like uh, it's just the way it goes. And then, and and then the other, the other thing to the, the, to the, um, uh, the point of, of like, I've, I've almost forgot. I've got this thread here. I've almost forgotten what my second point is. I've got to, I've got to rescue you. You got product, what were you talking about, Matt Ray? You've got product people, and and they're... you. I mean, I I don't think you need to like out strategize the competition. Oh, I got, I got okay. So so like again, and this is all like uh, you know Monday quarterbacking or what whatever is uh, morning quarterbacking. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Thank you, thank you. Uh, 
But you know, there is there is an alternate scenario where it's sort of like, oh, and let me pick on the thing I used to follow. Like systems management, Tivoli is still a big deal. Maybe what we should do is just like evolve that and like do much better at that and kind of like continue having that be a thing that we're working on instead of kind of like lessening it and kind of dumping it in favor of this of this other thing. So there's kind of like the practical matters of, of what you focus on and just like continuing to do them and even figuring out new ways to do them. So in contrast, right, like you can compare uh, like a Microsoft, whereas I think I think maybe back in 2011 or, or, or whatever, like, I don't know, I would have been like, I, what does Microsoft do? Right. Like, you know, what's their deal? But somehow they they, they sort of went down this path where they were like, we understand what it is we do, which is like, we don't do smart cities like we help people build and run software. And then we have Bing and Xbox. But like basically like we sort of like don't do applications of this other thing. I guess they have office, but, you know, they, they've always stuck to like what they do in the infrastructure space and haven't like reinvented it. And instead and again maybe it's a bold choice to kind of divest of a product thing but ibm i feel like they decided to be like mm, not going to do that anymore instead of kind of sticking to evolving it so i don't know that's a, these, those are tough strategic choices to make but you know the other the other thing that's like annoying and slightly related to to another news item is sort of like i mean ibm should be a big enough company to be able to do things <laughs> right to to not like be constrained by like you know, Wall well, Street. Wall Street is going to let us spend all of this money on like speculative things, like spending tens of billions of dollars building out cloud stuff, right? And like it, it is something it, is odd yeah. about how you manage a company like IBM, where you can't, you know, you don't have you, to. You, you can't. You can't tr- to make experiments you can't i mean yeah, it just yeah. felt like are, are, are you very conservative yeah you can't make really big experiments that are at the scale that you're at right because like google's an outlier we're like no one cares i guess they just spend money on whatever because <laughs> they make tons of money well, right? they, they've got their money phone right yeah, yeah 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 and 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 you know i don't know I, I don't know how to care i mean nowadays amazon because of aws throws off tons of money but back then I don't know if they threw off tons of money. So like it's, it's, uh, but I don't yeah, but, but, but he, I mean, early on they were making, so, you know, we, we've been seeing the, uh, I guess they were like always, uh, a, always a cash flow company. And the point was yeah. they, they, they had, they, they told the story that the point of this company is to take the cash flow and reinvest it back into, yes. into future cash flow not reinvested into EPS and share buybacks and basically returning the money to the company. But so this brings up a second topic, but, but just, uh, we don't have ads. Uh, but one, you should buy some ads for our show. We have some available (laughs) ads. We got a great, great listener base as, as listeners know, we have had uh, several satisfied people who bought ads over the past year. So I think it works. I don't, I don't actually know. Because I haven't done the analysis, but as far as I can tell, if you put ads on software defined talk, then something EPS related might happen. I think. Yes. I don't. I don't. It's very confusing. I won't go on my what the what the hell is EPS rant because I think someone explained it to me and it sort of made sense. But whatever. Uh, and then also, uh, just as a brief thing, I started putting stuff on my web blog. You can check that out. I haven't done that in a long time. But if you go to Cote.io. If you're sick of my gigantic newsletters that I send out all the time, 
you can get small daily slices of, of what I put in there and some, uh, some slightly more unique content. And then also after the show, you should go listen to uh, Arrested DevOps. Good show. And uh, it's equally, equally entertaining for this, this lot. So the, the thing I wanted to mention up, that, that mention, mention up that's a good, uh, is that a neologium? I think I made a neologium for a neologium. But spoonerism. There you go. Uh, but so I was, I was. It, there was rumors, and it's from Bloomberg, so they seem to be pretty credible. That uh, sources say that Tomo Bravo is is looking to sell off like the part of CompuWare it still has for like two billion dollars. So I had some spare time, so I went to go look at this, and I'd forgotten that uh, Dynatrace, and I think I think they purchased Gomez and combined it in a Dynatrace or something. I don't know. Brandon probably remembers this all better than I do, but like uh, they basically, so Tom Bravo bought CompuWare in, let's see, I typed this in, in 2014 for 2.5 billion and took them private, which is fine. And, uh, and then they spun off Dynatrace. And then I was trying to figure out like what money that made for Tom Bravo. So tell me if I'm kind of in the right ballpark of thinking this out. So, so Dynatrace is a public company. And right now I went and checked the old Yahoo Finance, and their market cap is $9.1 billion, uh, which is a lot more than $2.5 billion. Uh, yep. And I didn't look, you know, so let me get back to that craziness. But, uh, but it's something from our, uh, our 451 friends. I think they said that on the IPO day that Tomo Bravo still had, our, uh, this was back in uh, 2019, they, they still retained like 70% of the company. So I think if I'm doing the math right, let's just say they still own own seventy percent. We could let's say fifty percent. Then that means at a at a valuation of nine point one billion, Tomo Bravo has this asset that's basically, mm, yeah, four point seven billion, right? And so you know that's a good return on a two billion dollar buy. In addition, I like it. In addition to other stuff that they've sold off, and uh, if they sell CompuWare, that's another two billion. And I mean that multiple on a five-year deal. This is like one good job, Tomo Bravo, <laughs> right? Like that's that's how th- th- that's how you do the uh, the corporate banker private equity uh, value unlocking. On the other hand, like you know, this is always my my pet peeve mystery of of uh, of private equity stuff is like. So what you're telling me is that there was basically so they bought it for 2.5 billion, and for some reason there was uh, what, what's what's uh, what's 9.1 minus 2.5? That's like uh, six something. Six eight. Yeah. yeah. Six. Let's call it seven billion. There was basically seven billion dollars that someone had just kind of lost track of, <laughs> right? And like, well, they... like, like, like what? It's just it's just always bizarre to me that like the whole system is set up such that like just taking it off the market and doing whatever secret stuff Tomo Bravo does, like all of a sudden, pow, $7 billion was created, right? Like it's, it's weird. Like it they seems must, yeah. like there, there, there has to have been some kind of. Well, Maybe the secret's not being a public company. Yeah. You have to go back time and say, First of all, I don't know. I'll look in like when exactly did they buy it? Because obviously there was the financial crisis, right? Yeah, and yeah. It was in uh, 2014. Because so, I'm just saying anybody, all of us could have been real smart about just, if you will, 
buying as many stocks as we could and like you mm. know right around the in the middle or at the end of the financial crisis right just if you had the money and the wherewithal and the cash and then just buying your favorite index fund and doing nothing just yeah, 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 yeah if yeah. you did that so i think you know you have to start like it's not so much because i think it's a little less about like oh the seven billion dollars was like lost track of it was more like CompuWare was heavily, like all of stocks, at least in retrospect, right, were heavily depressed during that period of time. Yeah, that's fair. So then fair. what they think they did come out say, then they did do the little PE work where they probably did, you know, where they brought in, uh, you know, all the consultants. They did uh, our favorite matrices, right, Cash Cow and, you know, Leader and all that kind of stuff. And they probably figured out that APM is a place, a market that is growing, and that we've got, they felt like they had some um, some product there. And they probably did say, like, let's take Dynatrace out as its separate thing. And I think that part is probably very much like a PE firm kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Let's get the financials in order. Let's invest. And then let's take it public into, you know, what is considered one of the greatest bull markets, you know, in the in recent times. And, of course, you know, we'll see. You know, and that, that's just smart, right? That's just, And I think, you know, it's easy to say that's smart, but it's also private equity is set up such that like they are the people that actually do have the money in the downturns. You know what I mean? That's, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. they're paid to do it with the rest of us, maybe retail investors, like you don't feel so excited about, you know, investing more in your 401k when it's down a lot or your house is you know down a lot and things like that. So I think all of that together, because I mean, in the same time, like you could say, well, Dynatrace, wow, that's incredible. It's a $9.1 billion market, but look at Datadog, right? I mean, former sponsor of SolarWinds. I mean, draw your own conclusion here. They started as a, a pre-IPO uh, venture-funded company, and now they're worth $14 billion, right? And, and, and so they, you know, they had like, a lot wow. of ads on this podcast. And they had quite a few ads early <laughs> on. So, so it just kind of shows you. You could say, like, in some ways, you yep. look at Dynatrace is like, wow, they, they, they missed out. They're not even in, they're not even over yeah. $10 billion, right? And so... Yeah. There's a lot of history, I guess, is my whole point of like. Right. All- and, 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 and so so like, you know, as we were talking about that, you know, the IBM stuff, right? Like a, a, a similar a similar thing pops up in my head where, where I think like, I don't know, maybe IBM has lost track of 20 billion dollars. Right. Like I, won- I wonder if like if you were to take a PEI to uh, to like the IBM portfolio, if you would be like, man, there's a lot of good stuff in here. And like for whatever reason. Like all these good products in here just aren't like getting their due as far as not only valuation, but revenue and market share and everything. Yeah. Well, well and, and the stuff. things, the things they've spun out, you know, those have probably, you know, continued to provide value for the people who've purchased them. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Lenovo buying their laptops and, and yeah, you yeah. know, you know all, all those things that spun out. Are go, probably go back in time though. And, and just look at like, I, cause I think this is a, this is pretty instructive. I do. I mean, I this, this is probably me come across harsher than it, it's meant to be, but Look at comp. Uh, look at Tomo Bravo when they bought Compuware and what they've done with it. So we're talking like really coming out of a financial crisis, and then compare that to like when did IBM buy Red Hat? I mean, again, like we're into like I don't know what's going to happen in the stock market, but I can tell you like we are obviously in the middle of a very big bull market. So like, what if you went back in time and bought Red Hat or something else? You know what I'm saying? If you had the same kind of you know kind of thinking the PE firm did, like hey, things are really you know, on the cheap, if you will, now, now's the time to be buying. Like now you're buying at the very top of the market. And then maybe again, maybe it just continues to go up. But, you know, again, I think all of these executives had all this information, just like this private equity firm did. So, so you're just making it harder on yourself. I'm going to pick up Red Hat in the middle of a bull market and pay top dollar and pay a premium. 
and it's just like, wow. I mean, there's th- that's a you know, I don't think you know. Wh- at the same time, Tom Bravo is taking things public, right? So I don't know. It's just it's just it's just an interesting way to think of it all. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, also, uh, you know, there was some surveys that came out. You got the state of serverless, and then there was yeah. a, the the I think is it annual the J Revel survey about Java. I love a Java survey because it's basically like you know what the state of Java is this year, same as last year. Right. Like, and, 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 and it's it always, always in a good way. Right. Like, you know, Tomcat is always like the dominant thing that people use. Uh, people use like a lot of spring stuff. Like the, 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 the two things that were surprising in the Java survey, not, not to go into it too much, cause it'd be fun to talk about the, uh, the serverless and the monolith stuff a little bit. But one is, uh, that apparently like over 60% of people in the survey, I didn't look at the methodology and where they come from, but let's just run with it. Uh, they use like Java eight or older and I don't follow Java anymore, but, uh, Java eight came out in March of 2014, right around when Tom O'Bravo took CompuWare, uh, public big year in computing. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I think, I think that's also the version, uh, being a pivotal person, I should probably know this kind of stuff, but I remember people talking about this where, uh, of course a VMware person, but you know what I mean? Uh, uh, I remember going, you know, basically Oracle isn't going to do any more releases for uh, Java 8, but like for free. all, all yeah. these people run it. Because, you know, as Brandon taught us back when he was a product manager, there is no customer value in upgrading the JRE. <laughs> it, it, uh, that, that, does, that doesn't put things on the board. But then the other thing was, um, and I guess because I'm not a Java person anymore, I didn't really realize this, but like an IntelliJ is used by a lot of people. So apparently yes. there is something that developers pay for. So uh, good for them. That's uh, things are working out. But so then also there was a state of serverless. Yeah. From uh, that's from Datadog. Yep. Is, uh, and uh, by the state of serverless, what they mean is the state of AWS Lambda. Just fine. <laughs> well, the the state of Datadog customers using serverless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this, this this is true. And. Uh, I think, you know, it's a survey of what people use. And uh, I think the most interesting two things I, I read through that were uh, one, uh, that the larger the company, the more Lambda that you use, which is kind of interesting. And then also yep. that uh, Node.js and Python are the very popular things. And and as the coverage went over, as the survey said, Node launched as the thing that it did in 2014, I think. But then Python was added in 2015, a year later. But then so is Java, and there's like very little Java. It's basically mostly all Node and Python, which is, I don't know what to do with that. I mean, maybe one theory I would have, and I have no basis for this, is it looked like a lot of what people use Lambda for, I I can't pronounce anything, is basically data processing, which makes sense, right? Like you've got, you, you know, it's like super ETL. You've got some data coming in and it fires off an event, which does some little uh, processing in a Lambda thing. And then that passes on to some other thing. So I don't know, maybe there's a lot of data stuff going on or not. I have no idea. They, that's, <laughs> that's the one thing I don't think that they could analyze or they, or at least they didn't is like, what do all these things actually do? Well, yeah, I, I think when most people's initial look at serverless is to think like, you know, like ETL, like event-based processing. Um, but as you get farther and farther into it, those events transform away from data into like AWS housekeeping, you know, or run the security scan on that, check the privileges on that, you know, double check, you know, it, it just becomes 
you know, the, the guardrails for your cloud usage in addition to, you know, the, the processing that you're already doing. I, but as you get more and more, you know, air quotes, cloud native, you start thinking, well, why it's not just data processing. It's, it's, you know, the, the things that you were doing with long lived compute instances, you're like, Hey, I could get away with just having, you know, this trigger that, and mm. it's still, you know, if you squint, it's still kind of data processing, but it becomes more like event processing. Yeah. Yeah. But then on our favorite type of topic related to this, apparently serverless is, is dead before. It Wait, what? It's, it's a ridiculous <laughs> idea. So, and then if you pull this back, so microservices are bad is also what we right. got to monoliths are something that you need. Monoliths are what you need to work on. And so we should, we should go to doing that is, is well, and, and, and before we, we started recording, we declared that digital transformation is bad too. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're in the, uh, I mean, I think I hadn't, I mean, of all things and, and people, I haven't thought of this, but like we're in the, uh, we're in the trough of, uh, disappointment. What's it called? The, uh, <laughs> the trough of disillusionment, of disillusionment. Well, solidly in there and, on all this. And as, as we learned in Iowa, all software's bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, now, now Matt Ray, you've worked at chef for a long time. I feel yeah. like, I feel like that, that category is, is well on the, pl the plateau of productivity. So you must yeah. have been through the trough. What do we have? What advice do you have to give people in the cloud native world who are uh, not used to being in the trough of disillusionment? How do you uh, how do you slog through that? Uh, well, you you look uh, you look at your happy customers and figure out what you're doing that makes them happy and do more of that. <laughs> That's right. Um, I mean, pay attention you know, to fundamentals. I, that sounds like some football well, coach thing. It's it's actually more of like an AWS thing, right? You know, the the number one goal is to make your users and customers happy, and you know the profits and and all that stuff. You know, you are running a business; they should follow because you're doing something that people find value in, right? If you're trying to chase the new hot, you know, the new hotness, it's a crowded, you know, very uh, uh, very survival of the fittest market. And you know, if you are you know, a quote unquote established vendor, um, do the things that make sense, but keep an eye on the future. And so, you know, chef is, I like to think we've done a pretty good job and, you know, I can't talk about our, our, our numbers, but, uh, you know, what? we're doing a pretty good That's job. That's a shocker. Everyone would be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, then they'll stop sharing the numbers with me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we, 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 you know, we have our, you know, our stable chef stuff and we have our future looking inspect and habitat stuff and our customers are enjoying the journey with us. And, uh, I don't know, do, do, do that. Yeah, no, I, I, th I think, I think that's good. I, I mean, like, like, like most good advice, it's, it's obvious, but forgotten is like, you know, it's really important to pay attention to what people want to give you money for, which is to say, pay attention to your customers and, uh, yeah. You know, like and, don't 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 lose sight and try to go invent artificial intelligence to like cure cancer or anything like that. Just more uh, stick to that. But that's and then and then so then how do you when do you start calibrating that like maybe you're out of the trough? Oh, I have no idea. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that that's you know different people in the organization will have different reactions to that, right? Like sales, you know they they know <laughs> you know when those uh, 
when those bonus checks come in, they know what was was working. Uh, but uh, yeah. you know, product is probably forever pessimistic, and uh, and those of us on on the coal seam, you know, with the customers, we're always going to have gripes. Um, Did you call so, it the yeah. cold seam? You know the the people work in the mines, the coal seam. Oh, coal seam, yeah, the coal seam, like that big uh, naked pot belly guy in Chernobyl. He's my favorite character. You know, he just like walks out all of a sudden, buck naked. He's always stealing cigarettes. <laughs> yes, yes. Or uh, uh, I've been watching The Crown, so you know the <laughs> for those of us working in Wales. Uh, anywho, um, I mean, yeah, how do, I how mean, do you get a pot belly like that? That is just like amazing you remember that? Uh, i need to find a picture is, of that is, you know two or three beers at a time um <laughs> huh. so uh yeah anyway um but but so i mean what uh what 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 do we do with this like this is this is, we, this is this is like my old thing of like you know kubernetes is for developers it's not for developers like i'm trying to be positive what how do what do i take all this monolith microservices well, I, serverless stuff and do this, something good with it just come back to like, I mean, I guess the good news, you know, if, to all of those, you know, joining the trough of disillusionment. First of all, welcome. There's plenty of room here. Glad to have everyone. <laughs> uh, second is, don't worry. Like, it, this is just, this is the normal process, right? This is, uh, and to what Matt was saying, right, a little bit earlier, it's like, you know, you're at the, uh, what, the peak of uh, inflated expectations when there's some type of euphoria setting in. So if you're like a Tesla stock owner, it's like, I don't know, Tesla stock just like doubling every day. It's like there is no reason for it. It's just like that's what's happening. People are euphoric. It's just crazy. Enjoy the ride. Of course, things will come back down. Right now, you're in the trough of dissolution. Matt's just saying you just retrench around what are the problems that you can solve that are really make for a good microservices solutions. If you just stay focused in on that, a few months, quarters will go by, and then you'll end up probably with like a pretty predictable revenue stream, consistent customers asking for consistent, you know, use cases and problems that you can solve, and there'll be a lot less euphoria. So it will just work itself out, right? And I think it's it's never it's just not a fun process to go through, right? It would be great if you could skip the uh, you know peak of inflated expectations and the trough of disillusionment, but it's just the normal path that probably everything goes through, whether it's technology, you musicians, you know, all kinds of fads, right? It's just like, this is just how the human, human being processes things. So yeah, that's good. That's good. It's going to work out. I I think, I think maybe in the, in the programmer context, so with serverless and microservices and monoliths, I think the, the programmer equivalent of the trough of disillusionment is like when you have these big discussions and there's always the, the the people who are like, you should use the right technologies for the right solution problems, just like <laughs> applying and, and like and, you know, the 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 uh, the annoying, ver- the even more annoying version of that is like, well, you know, you uh, you if you just configured it correctly, you would be satisfied with it. Right. Like there was there was uh, there was one of the talks at Fosdem, uh, uh, which was which is great. It was it was going over like, you know. Uh, hey, if you, if you want the kids in open source, like IRC is not really a good way to start with that, right? And it's just like, it's hard to figure out how to make it work. And like, people are always telling you, like, basically, like, you just have it. If, if you're not having a good experience with IRC, you just don't have it configured correctly, right? And anyways, so so going back up, which which is great. It's sort of like, you know, if if you're not enjoying your hamburger, you must be eating it incorrectly. Like, it could just be a, it could just be a <laughs> shitty hamburger. Uh, but, 
anyhow, like I, I think I think maybe that's a kind of an indication of trough of disillusionment when the answer to every complaint is always like, you know, just use You're the right tool for the right job. Yeah. Or just that I hate that right tool for the right job. It's just like and in fact, it was great. You know, one of the people complaining about serverless was uh, old DHH Ruby on Rails person. And someone wrote that in his Twitter thread. And he was like, what did he say? He was like, you just said nothing. <laughs> which is like wow oh, i never i love a curmudgeon yeah, yeah i I, ne- I never thought of it that way but that is that is a good like yeah that was not helpful like it doesn't anyways but uh so there you go i think that's good i i hadn't thought of this until y'all were going over it but it's just a trough of disillusionment it's no problem we'll uh we'll sort things out well before we get to uh recommendations is there any other exciting news that caught y'all's eyes uh, well, I think you we know, should the... just quickly touch on because uh, we <laughs> we hit it like you know one. I just want to give a shout out to everybody who worked on the uh, the the caucus application, the web application or a mobile application they were supposed to use that essentially did not work and caused all types of political controversies. Like I just I just feel bad for everyone. It's like yeah, I'm sure the app was uh, had uh, poorly defined requirements, an impossible deadline, and then of course you had to release it in uh, on uh, one night where pretty much like all of the the nation's media descended on it to watch it and and it's it's very rare that any of uh situation anyone building software in that situation uh would be successful so uh so sorry for all of you hopefully uh you know maybe back to uh you know how not to do a digital transformation project i think we can we can say those are the three key like uh don't uh have poorly defined requirements don't uh have an impossible deadline and then certainly don't uh launch it on uh while like 100 million well, people don't do any of I, that on your next yeah <laughs> I, I i thought what we were you know when when i saw the you know the, the news this week i i thought what we'd be talking about is some things don't need to be software <laughs> and, and it's like you know maybe maybe just maybe uh why don't we go with tried and true you know uh paper ballots and you know you have some sort of hey people just call in their numbers and you have a you know double uh double uh verification of things and you know you say like the county calls in the headquarters records it they post the results online the county can verify that what they called in is there it's it's pretty simple but uh well i think there are two sides to this i think there's like you know let's we'll stick up for digital transformation it's like one (laughs) potentially if if done right if done right, like, you know, maybe there's a potential that it could be more efficient. And two, like, I think you can make the case that technology can help make it easier for people to get involved in public elections, right? So so I think you could say, hey, it's okay to, like, have these ideas and to explore these ideas. But what what doesn't make sense is to try to do it on, like, the biggest night. Like, so maybe yeah. you start an app like this and you run it at, like, a very local caucus, like, with maybe – a hundred people or a couple hundred people in the same room. Right. And you, you know, in a very low stakes election, maybe even, I mean, not to be, maybe just like almost like some kind of like, uh, you know, you know, if you will glorified HOA meeting or, you know, something really low stakes and, and try to explore the idea. Like, well, if we added some technology to this, like, and does it make it better? And then actually see, does do any of the benefits come from it? Right. Um, and then if you see something then you maybe continue to iterate it and then maybe you take it to like a real local election and then maybe to like a statewide, you know, you have some plan about like, Hey, I'm going to learn along the way yeah. and I want to see like help engagement. Like this kind of stuff. I mean, I do think this is the kind of stuff where 
it just feels like at the highest levels of some organization, people are like, we need a mobile app for this. And yeah. that, that was the, all the thought that was given. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's just like the worst possible scenario. Yeah, right? I, 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 I think I think from, never do that from, from the little commentary I read here and there. It's just like a classic enterprise situation. Exactly. As you said, where just uh, it wasn't taken seriously enough. <laughs> right. And and that results in like underfunding and, you know, not understanding how software should be developed and rolled out. And, you know, being able to like do all of that is is a, a luxury of having enough money and staff to do it. Right. Like and uh, and definitely if you have that attitude of just like, I don't know, we just need a mobile app, then uh, then it pans out like one explanation. I don't know. Somewhere in Twitter, someone was talking about is like understanding the context of how it money gets spent in campaigns and basically most all of it gets spent on like raising money which makes sense uh and so there's there's a smaller amount of priority that would be spent on things like this and then also i think there's like um you know to 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 peer down a rat hole or i don't know what do they have gophers in ohio peer down a a gopher hole iowa prairie dogs yeah whatever iowa ohio they got four letters in their name those weird states up there uh (laughs) at least we won't make fun of uh new zealanders and australians in this episode so it's we're we're on the clear there (laughs) but uh yeah it's like a typical another enterprise thing where like if if you as Americans, I think we only vaguely understand how the how the various elector elector um, not electoral like the election systems work. Not only in general elections, but across primaries, are just all like it's basically like each state and county can kind of do like choose your own adventure and and way yes. a way of doing it. So like that, there's a reason we say Iowa caucus instead of Iowa election, and it's just like. It's all bonkers. And so, like I was thinking, you know, somehow we can reliably get our paychecks, right? Like, you know, there, there's like this, this one, there's like this uh, number that goes from uh, our, our employers, probably through ADP, and then shows up in our bank. And that works, <laughs> right? Like, and maybe every, every five or 10 years, you get that email from HR that's like, oh, sorry, uh, it didn't work out. And now you have your money. And like, so it's one of those, it's sort of like, yeah, if we can pay people globally, you can probably register that one person picked this thing and the other person picked that thing. And it just takes that seriousness to make sure the system works. But yeah, it's a good metaphor for like, or not metaphor. It's a good thing of like, if you do, you know, shitty enterprise software, you're going to get shitty results. You got to take that stuff seriously. Plus, caucus. What is it? What a strange. Who knows? That's, I do think though, that's another podcast close. complaining about like the uh, the primary system. But I think just to close out, maybe like you know Matt's original thought. Like I do think there was an opportunity here to do like a very low tech thing of just print out a standard form that had all these questions and see if people could you know because obviously they've changed the formulas could could successfully just complete the form on paper and then yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I know I'm saying this right like and then have them fax it in right and see like okay did all that work and then that would kind of give you the almost the requirements the baseline like, oh yeah they give you the baseline too it would be like oh the form was confusing because of this reasons which would give you a sense of like how to build the app and then yeah, like yeah. if if people couldn't fax it or connectivity was bad, you'd start to get a sense of like, huh, 
maybe these people, maybe this isn't good, or it's like, how do we make it easier to send it in? So there was uh, some yeah. obvious low hanging fruit to try. And I, I mean, we we've had learned. like like in in Travis County, they've had like electric voting machines for a while, and they they work, right? Yeah, yeah. we hope so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like that they work. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It it is like. I mean, I, I do sort of like when I was reading all that paper stuff, I did sort of cringe because it's sort of like it's sort of like I think I think even John Allspaw was like, hey, hold on. Like if it had worked, we, we would all be like, this is a miracle of digital transformation. I mean, he didn't use those words, but it's just sort of like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if paper is any better or, or, or I shouldn't say better. It's more dur- for all the reasons, but it's sort of like I, I, I guess I guess you could I don't think we should like so immediately run to paper as like the solution would just kind of give up on this but other it, stuff. It worked. Oh it yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. I it, mean, that that's, that's my problem it is, is like, there's so much downside to the digital. In this case, like, you know, transparency, security, you know, tampering, just like, you know, we can put, you know, some, some digital check checks on top of this, but I do not want, to lose the paper record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that part makes sense. It can be audited. You know, yeah. what we have when it's digital, I mean, there's horror story after horror story of, you know, not only do we have, you know, voter suppression, but then once people get in the voting, it's like, oh, you know, I clicked on this and then, you know, the results did not match what I clicked on. You yeah. have no trail. It's sort and of like, it's, it's like when I check out of a hotel, I always get a paper bill. <laughs> just because who knows like there's something weird with my email that sometimes it doesn't show up and then you got to like fill out this form have you ever had to uh request an invoice from marriott now there there's a chance for some digital transformation there's a form very hard to find and you fill it out and it asks you like you know your reservation number your name when you were staying and every time i shit you not you email it in and then a couple of days later another email come that says that says to verify your identity could you tell me your reservation number, the time you checked in, and the credit card that you used to do this, right? And you're and it's just like ridiculous, like that that exists. And so if you just get a paper in copy, then you're cool. Then your vote gets counted and you can file your expenses on time. But it seems like that would be such a simple little app to write. Maybe with some microservices or maybe a monolith. <laughs> I, I don't know. I only oh, we had some cloud foundry. Oh yeah, that 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 sounds that sounds good. I like that. Get some get some serverless in there. Well, uh, have we had any exciting listener feedback or uh, news from Stickerland, Brandon? We have. Uh, I want to thank Peter from New Zealand. I sent him some stickers, so uh, appreciate him listening from way uh, way down under. Um, although that's an Australian reference, so again, I apologize. And then, of course, if you want a sticker, uh, you can just email your postal address at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Be happy to send you a sticker uh, anywhere in the world, so please do. Now, now, Matt Ray, is Down Under yeah. only Australia? Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I... Well, you know what? We're about to find out now. That's <laughs> all the advertisers, let me tell you. People will point it out later. Yeah, so, no. yeah. I think I think that'll be that. I mean, I mean, I feel like from my perspective, it it would be Australia and New Zealand. Where does the, where yeah. does the line stop? Where where do we draw this? Is it well, is, is New I, Zealand I, down over and a little to the to the right? Like, is that is that the better reference or? 
Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so uh, I googled it, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and the term "down under" is a colloquialism and refers to Australia and New Zealand. Okay. So uh-huh. Fiji, I'm sorry, you're not down <laughs> under. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. That makes sense. Does that mean that they call like they call like England like up top or something like that? Probably the not. Topsiders. I, I don't the know. Topsiders. Um, they they have other uh, colloquialisms for the for the Brits. Um. Well, well, well. Listen, I know everyone likes the bread talk. I'll give you, which I find astonishing. I'll give I'll give you a a, a little bit of bread talk. All right. Uh, so I I have discovered. Uh, you go to you had a hotel place. You know they've got the big bread selection. One. Yep. Uh, this is something that I had to learn. So I'm going to tell my American friends this. You're going to be confused. There's a napkin over the bread. That napkin is there. So that you put the napkin over the bread and you hold the bread so that you cut your own pieces. And this phenomena, I don't know, is it's kind of weird in America. But mm. but my suggestion and what I've started to do for a breakfast is like I think that a slice of bread with a massive amount of butter is actually very filling. And uh, oh, yeah. I, I think you could easily get away with just having a slice of bread with a bunch of butter as a quick snack. Now, somewhat related. This is bread talk, but it's also breakfast talk. I ran into a German over the weekend, very pleasant German work in software defined networking. He was perhaps the 15th or 50th person that I had tried to explain software defined networking to me. I think he had a good explanation finally that was satisfying for me. But then I cross checked this when I had lunch with John Willis and it was just, you know, all or all sorts of definitions of what software defined networking is. Um, but I asked him what he has for breakfast usually. And he said basically that he has a sandwich. Like, you know, and, and as uh, who was with me at the time, Paul was with me and he would always point out, ah, but a sandwich that's missing the top slice. And, and the German guy said, yes. Yeah. So he, it's, it sounds like a very common meal in Germany. And I guess the rest of Europe to have, you know, piece of meat or a piece of cheese on a piece of bread and eat that. And I think as, as he pointed out, uh, Americans are kind of the only people who have breakfast is a big deal. And it's kind of like a, a gigantic thing for them with all the, uh, with all the bread. So try that out. Get a piece of bread, put a bunch of butter on it. See how long that lasts for you. I think. Thanks, Carl Weathers. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> then you got yourself a breakfast going. Now, uh, you know, if you want to join our Slack channel, uh, you can you can see all the replies to things we have. We put we put a lot of uh, we track the things we're going to talk about and the things we don't end up talking about there. But if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com/slash/slack, you can sign up for it. And also uh, at softwaredefinedtalk.com, you can find uh, how to get stickers. You, you email um, Brandon Sticker. stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Send your mailing address. Uh, he's not going to fax it to you. Uh, send your mailing address and you'll get some free stickers. Thanks to the largest of our advertisers, we'll just send them to you. Uh, you know, we got Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn and all that stuff. But with that, Brandon, one, I listened to last week's episode. Uh, I don't think it's any sort of mystery. Sometimes I don't listen to episodes I'm not on, which I apologize for. Oh no! But but I, I I've got over the past year or so I've been trying to make myself better, and uh, I think you are a very good MC, Brandon. Much more organized than me, and you just you're like a you're like David Plotz level of like tech uh, podcast MC. So good job there. But with that compliment, with that compliment uh, uh, done with. What's your recommendation for this week? Well, thank you, Kote. I appreciate the kind words. Well, my recommendation, I'm going to keep it real uh, short and simple this week. Uh, sometimes, and I don't fully understand why, 
but like you try to get on a wireless network and then try to redirect you, it just like it just doesn't work. Like you can't get on it. And uh, so someone pointed out there's this site called Never SSL, which does exactly what it uh, go neverssl.com. And just like the name implies, it does not use any security. It's the anti Matt Ray uh, website. But what it will <laughs> is it tricks these wireless networks. It just lets them resolve the site because it doesn't have all the security and the ah. TLS and like whatever. Somebody just characterized it as like misbehaving Wi-Fi network, which frankly seemed like a great explanation to me. So, so I just like if you're on like some weird Wi-Fi network and it's doing some kind of weird redirect, it's probably because it's trying to redirect you to a secure site. And it looks like a security man in the middle attack. So if you just type in neverssl.com, it usually will resolve right away, get you on the wireless network, and then you can safely go on to all the websites uh, that you want. So uh, try neverssl if you're having wireless connectivity problems out in the <laughs> wild, wild, wild. Yeah, which probably doesn't combine well with the HTTPS everywhere plugin that I use. <laughs> yeah matt ray you should never use never ssl yeah yeah oh I, I i still don't think i've gotten global protect to work as a vpn i don't understand it's, i need to take a screenshot of it because it's basically like has one field that you put the vpn server in and that's it there's like no other there's nothing else there's no nothing to like mess with or touch which is just bizarre but i guess it's secure I, it's it's security by not being able to work my favorite type of security i i think i think you know vpn folks if you want to sponsor the show we will test your products and report back mm, that's good well how about yourself matt ray what do you have to recommend this week uh just a quick uh thing there's a book coming out soon from raspberry pi press called code the classics where they uh walk you through some classic video games you know things like uh frogger and centipede and you learn to write them yourself uh Ooh. looks like something fun uh it's a big picture book so i'll uh, uh probably get that and see if my see if i can lure my my kids into uh you know building some games we'll see uh, it might just be something that i buy and nobody ever reads but you never know this is like and, the, uh, the old uh, the old programming books that you would just like type code from you remember those? exactly huh. exactly exactly so uh you know um looks kind of fun and uh and then uh i saw that uh, faith no more is coming to australia and new zealand they haven't toured much in the last uh, decade or two so i'm kind of excited about that so i threw that in the show notes is is that is that the one where there's a video where a piano blows up? <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, well, sure, they've been a band for you know almost forty years, but uh, yeah, that that's that's them. I just, I just remember that being on Beavis and Butthead at some point. Oh yeah, I really yeah. thought that was awesome. Uh, well, my recommendation, also quick, we'll, we'll see if I can pull that off. But I was uh, when I was driving back from Ghent, I was feeling like you know I, I finished listening to Joan Didion's uh, After Henry, which is like. I wouldn't say that's the first book you want to start with for Joan Didion. Her, uh, you know, the first, the first, the first couple of books are pretty good. This one's a little more. Uh, takes some t people just sort of let her write. I think, which if you like her is fine, but they're not. It's not very concise. Uh, anyhow, but I thought I should listen to some more work stuff. So I, I remembered that I had I'd bought a copy of uh, an Audible of Beyond the Phoenix Project, which is basically it's a series of lectures. Uh, not really lectures. It's lectures in the form of a podcast between Gene Kim and John Willis. And you can tell that they've prepared some contents because no one is good at that, as good at ad hoc talking for six hours uh, like that. 
but, you know, they kind of just go through a lot of the whole like background stuff for DevOps, uh, you know, and how, how things came about. And, and it's great. It's fun to listen to. And it's also like a good reminder of a lot of the basic DevOps stuff that we, um, uh, not that we take for granted, but it's just sort of like so basic, it's easy to forget that like, like I was realizing this basically, I forget who it was. Both of them were talking. They were like, you know what, really what you need to pay attention to doing is chart out the whole value stream map and remove the waste from it. And that's probably all you'll have time for the rest of your life to do. They, you know, they didn't, they didn't really say that, but it's sort of like, yeah, that's sort of what we're doing here. And all this other stuff just kind of feeds into that, which, yep. you know, that doesn't really come up as, as much as it used to. But it was making, I, it, it made me think of a notion, speaking of digital transformation, that I'm going to try to play around with, which is like, it'd be really cool if you could deploy multiple times a day, but it'd also be really cool if you just like actually delivered on the schedule that you've already committed to in your waterfall thing, which is to say like, maybe just try to deliver your software better instead of being overly ambitious about changing things around and uh, think about just like, how can we just make the system we have work better instead of being revolutionary about it? And then we'll get to be revolutionary and be super cool, which I don't know if that's trimodal IT or any sort of modal, but or or lower your expectations IT. But I feel like a lot, you know, after listening to a few things there, it's sort of like there's just some basics you could go back to, yep. and just sort of apply those, and then see what happens. And yeah, so you know. so so to sum up, for the rest of your life, try to do better. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you don't need to like you know get a haircut or anything. Just try to be better with the haircut that you have. Don't 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 do challenging things. So uh, with that, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. This is episode 217. So if you want to get the show notes for this episode, uh, there's lots of things we talked about, other links. We totally skipped over conferences that are happening. There's uh, I added a few new ones that I'll be adding there, but you should go check that out. But if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 217, there's, uh, there's two discount codes in there for conferences for KubeCon EU. Uh, and also for DevOps Days Minneapolis, which uh, is actually in 2020, not in 2019, I think. Didn't, didn't when you get that correction? Uh, yes. Which, Thank you, Bridget. Yes. Yeah, yeah correction. I, 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 I was excited. I thought I would have a reason to use my time machine. but uh, Not this year. Yeah. Anyways, uh, you should, uh, you know, thanks for listening. We'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye.